When writing to the church at Corinth, as recorded in, um, in the first epistle there, in chapter 11, Paul wrote these words, Now I thank you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. Now we have just kept the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. This is one of those for which Paul was commending the Christians at Corinth for observing. The other ordinance is that of baptism. And in view of the forthcoming baptism in a week's time and the Lord's will, we'll uh, have a look at this particular ordinance this morning. Now, uh, just a few days ago, Martin posted on Facebook a poem by Rudyard Kipling, very meaningful in light of recent events. I'd like to also take a leaf out of Martin's book and quote the first verse of another of Kipling's poems, and it goes like this. I have... (coughs) Pardon me. (coughs) I have six honest working men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and where and when and how and why and who. In other words, words that open a question. And, uh, and so I'd like to borrow four of those uh, working men and have them work for me today, namely what, what is baptism, and uh, how is baptism to be observed, uh, who would be baptised and why. So uh, we'll look at those in that order as we go through. We read in the, the, epistle, uh, sorry, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the, the early history of the early church, uh, of Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, bringing before the people the horror of what these Jewish people had been guilty, and that is of murdering the Son of God. They had called for the death by crucifixion of their Messiah, and he was not letting them off the hook. And, uh, and, and so they were overcome with grief, with remorse, and, uh, and so we read that um, uh, they prayed or they asked Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's reply was repent and repent of that uh, sin of which they had been guilty and to look to the one who was their Messiah. Even though it was in God's plan, even though it was according to God's foreknowledge and his preordained knowledge, uh, even then they were still guilty of that crime. And so we read in verses 41 and 42 of Acts chapter 2, Then they that gladly received his word were baptised, and there were added to the church that day about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. And so we're going to have a look at baptism this morning. Those who gladly received his word were baptised. Now, um, I've got the definition of baptism from uh, W.E. Vines. Uh, It is the um, uh, dictionary 
of New Test uh, of New Testament words in the Greek New Testament, and uh, this is what uh, W. E. Vine says of baptism: uh, that the word. Well, first of all, let me say that uh, baptism is not a translation of a Greek word in, uh, into an English word. It is actually a Greek word transliterated into English. It is the word baptisma, the noun, baptisma, and it's been just brought over into the English language as baptism, B-A-P-T-I-S-M-A, or if you want the Greek letters, they are beta, alpha, pi, tau, iota, sigma, uh, mu, and alpha at the end. So we've just dropped the M and we have B-A-P-T-I-S-M. It's a Greek word now in English, but uh, W.E. Vine uh, defines it as uh, consisting of the processes of immersion, submersion and emergence and it's used of John's baptism, of Christian baptism and of the overwhelming afflictions and judgments to which the Lord voluntarily submitted on the cross. That's Luke chapter 12, verse 50. That's where the Lord said, I have a baptism to be baptised with, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. But he goes on to say, the verb baptizo was used among the Greeks to signify the dying of a garment. You immerse the garment into the water to, to give it colour, to dye the garment. Uh, Plato used it metaphorically as being overwhelmed with questions. Maybe he had children because uh, children can be asking questions all the time. I don't know whether you've heard of the little fellow uh, who was always asking questions of his dad and finally in exasperation his father said, where are all these questions coming from? And he replied, I'm a kid, that's my job. So um, so asking questions and you'll learn. So let's not discourage anyone from asking questions. And, uh, and so poor old Plato, evidently, he was baptised with the questions that were coming his way. Uh, Vine also mentions the two occasions in the Old Testament where the word baptised is used. That is, in the Greek translation of the original Hebrew and Aramaic uh, scriptures translated into the Greek language. Just two occasions, one in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 14, and that has to do with Naaman, the Syrian military man, the general who had leprosy. In spite of all the good things you could say about Naaman, he had leprosy. He was told by the prophet of God back in Samaria to dip himself, baptise himself seven times in the Jordan River. And uh, the other occasion is in Isaiah chapter 21, verse 4, uh, once again uh, used, in a, used as a metaphor here, uh, horror overwhelms me, horror baptises me. In other words, I'm totally immersed in the horror of what the situation was in which uh, Isaiah was referring to at that time. And then, of course, another metaphoric use of it is the spirit baptism. 
and that's the act of the Holy Spirit where he places all believers within the body of Christ. Now that occurs right at the very moment of conversion. At, at a point when a soul passes from death to life, when someone realises that he is a sinner and lost and he comes to the Lord in repentance and faith, he is immediately baptised into the body of Christ. By one spirit are you all baptised into Christ. But this morning we'll be focusing on the water baptism of believers. <clears throat> so then um, uh, we'll, we'll go to uh, our second one, having looked at the first one, what is baptism? Uh, secondly, how is baptism uh, carried out? <clears throat> now, the practice of baptism by immersion or the practice of baptism by sprinkling is one of the most obvious differences that exist between Christians. There are many genuine Christians who have never been baptised as believers. They, uh, the genuineness of their faith, the love of our Lord, the love of his people, their zeal in proclaiming the gospel cannot be denied. But uh, they, don't, they see the value in uh, infant baptism and uh, they've not been baptised as believers. Now, the Christian church has been uh, blessed by people from both camps and, uh, and so um, uh, we know that the spiritual life of our fellowship here has been greatly enriched by people who have not been baptised as believers. And so uh, acknowledging that, uh, we welcome them uh, to our midst. But um, because we at Thornlands hold to baptism by immersion of believers, uh, this will be my focus this morning. So how is it done? And I, I have here that we baptise by immersion in the water. Uh, but speaking of uh, people from both camps, uh, there is no reason at all why Christians cannot be the greatest of friends and have uh, enjoyed the most wonderful fellowship with each other, even in spite of these differences. And there have been uh, great and greatly used people of God from both sides in uh, the past, as I mentioned, but some of them also have been the greatest of friends. I think of two in uh, Northern Ireland at the latter part of the last century, the Reverend Ian Paisley, a Presbyterian minister uh, from the Martyrs Memorial Presbyterian Church, and uh, being a Presbyterian, baptism by sprinkling. And on the other side, there was uh, Willie Mullen, uh, Baptist pastor of Lurgan Baptist Church. And in spite of that, they were great friends and uh, Ian Paisley evidently used to go to visit uh, Willie Mullen on occasions uh, in the night time and uh, Willie on one occasion said to him Ian I don't like you coming to see me at this time because you see uh, because of political issues with the IRA and so forth uh, Ian Paisley had a reputation he was a marked man and he said uh, People will see you with me and they'll associate me with you and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be out to get me. And Paisley replied, Willie, 
I am immortal until my life's work is done. <laughs> he really believed that. He really believed that when he passed from this earth, he would, uh, it would be uh, God's timing for him. And, uh, and actually, uh, Paisley preached Willie Mullins' funeral service. Another one, another couple more recently uh, would be R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur. R.C. Sproul of Lagonia Ministries, uh, baptised by sprinkling, and uh, John MacArthur is one who practised believers' baptism. And yet, uh, uh, MacArthur also preached at, was it uh, Sproul's funeral or memorial? I'm not too sure which. But, um, but he made mention of that right throughout his message, uh, very affectionately, and how he would call uh, Mr. Sproul R.C., just his initial letters, and uh, Sproul would refer to him as Johnny Mac. So you see, there was this Christian bond between them, even in spite of that difference. And so we can be friends with those who don't agree with us on this. It's not one of the fundamental issues. That's not to say it's unimportant, but there are other issues far more important than that. <clears throat> However, having said that, uh, because I say that uh, we practice baptism by immersion, we see that um, although the Bible, uh, nowhere in the Bible do, do you read specifically that baptism must, by, must be by immersion of the whole body, yet uh, there is um, a strong argument for that. Uh, for example, the very meaning of the word baptism is immersion or dipping. Um, the prepositions that are used for people who are baptised, such as into the water, out of the water, coming up from the water, uh, all of these are appropriate for the practice of baptism by immersion. Jesus went up out of the water, we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, Philip and the eunuch, this is in Acts chapter 8, both went down into the water together and they came up out of the water. Acts chapter 8 verses 38-39. So the practice of immersion uh, more accurately portrays also, let me go here to the, um, the epistle to the Romans and chapter 6. Uh, this is where we have the spiritual lesson of baptism brought out. Uh, Romans chapter 6 from verse 3, just a couple of verses here. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So you see here that it's portraying death, burial, resurrection. When a person is baptised and he goes down into the water and uh, he's signifying uh, death, he's, he's immersed in death. 
as he is, goes under and the waters close over his body, he is uh, submerged, burial, and then as he comes up out of the water, uh, he's uh, signifying then the resurrection of the Lord, but his being raised in the likeness of our Lord's resurrection. So uh, it is very, very uh, symbolical indeed of, uh, of that fact in Romans chapter 6. And so having come out of the water, that baptised person now stands on a new level in their Christian walk. So much so that another verse that springs to mind here is from Galatians uh, chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. I've died with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He's been raised from the dead. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So in Christian baptism, faith always precedes baptism. We come to faith first. The Bible knows nothing of uh, an unsaved person being baptised. Uh, if, if an unsaved person were to present for baptism and be baptised, he would go under the water as an unsaved person, he would emerge from the water as an unsaved person. It would be totally meaningless to that person. Faith must pre precede the actual baptism. A person must come to Christ before being baptised as a believer. It was about uh, or 50 plus years ago, there was a young fellow in Hobart and he looked into the lovely face of a young lady there and he said to her, I call upon these persons here present to witness that I, Tom Clifford, take you, Imka Petrusma, as my lawful wedded wife, and so on. You know the formula. And then Imka herself said the same to me. And uh, as we stood there before the celebrant and a few more to and fro uh, went on, then we were invited to exchange rings. <clears throat> and so I slipped a ring onto the fourth finger of Imka's left hand and she did for me and said words something like, Imka, I give you this ring as a token of my love for you. And, uh, and likewise. Now I have a question. What was it that united us together in a bond which has lasted for life? a bond which is so sacred that the Lord himself said of it, they twain shall be one flesh. And what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Was it the fact that we exchanged rings? No, it was our commitment to each other which went before. This is a symbol of our lives joined together, but it is our commitment that uh, freed the celebrant to pronounce us as husband and wife. And so it is with Christianity. It is our commitment to the Lord before, before uh, the baptism. It is what has taken place 
uh, in, our, in our hearts and uh, the spirit baptism, by one spirit are you all baptised into Christ. Physical baptism, baptism in water is the, is the outward display of what has taken place in a person's heart. So now we come to uh, who should be baptised and you can see that there has been sort of overlap with this as we've gone through but who should be baptised and the and this is the question which is much more uh, basic and fundamental than the method of baptism and that is this that uh, there's no serious question whatever that it is believers only who were baptised and so we have uh, so many examples in the scripture uh, as we look at um, baptism in the early church in the book of uh, Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 41, 42, as I quoted before, those who gladly received the word were baptised, those who had made um, a commitment to the Lord. Uh, when you come to, um, to Acts chapter uh, 8, uh, we have here... Um, uh, yeah, yeah, this is the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Um, Philip had been uh, preaching in Samaria and uh, people were being saved there and they were, they were being baptised but uh, when we come to the Ethiopian now, uh, we read it from verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He was reading from the prophecy of Isaiah, in the 53rd chapter. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So then, uh, here he is, this man from Ethiopia. Uh, he has been to Jerusalem. He's on his way home. He has been able to purchase at very great expense. The scriptures would have been very expensive then, being copied and handwritten, a very laborious job, and so you pay for it. But uh, he had a copy of the prophet Isaiah. How much of it he had, I don't know. 
whether it was just a, a few scrolls or whether he had the entire scrolls of the prophecy, I don't know. But he certainly had the 53rd chapter. He was reading that well-known chapter of the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and so <clears throat> because the events of Calvary were so recent and he knew all about it or, or he had heard uh, all sorts of things, uh, there was something niggling at him and so he is asking Philip, what's all this about? Who is the prophet speaking of, of himself or someone else? And we read how Philip preached unto him Jesus. Well, uh, don't think of him being on that chariot with the Ethiopian for 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, it could have been there for hours and Philip was, as he was going through and possibly other scriptures besides and explaining it in the light of recent events, the Holy Spirit of God was moving in his heart just as he did in the heart of Lydia, recorded in Acts chapter 16. And... Uh, the revelation came to him that this is true, what Philip is telling me is true. And, uh, and so as they're going along, uh, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hinders me from being baptised? Now you'll notice that the two words here is are in italics and so uh, reading it without those in would be see water. Uh, it could be that he spoke in a really excited uh, tone of voice. Look, water, what's stopping me from being baptised? And Philip replied, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And what was his response? He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ, that is that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptised him. They both went down into the water. So it must have been a significant amount of water that was there. Now when they came up out of the water, so remember I said before how this gives uh, credence to the belief that it is baptism by immersion, going down into the water, coming up out of the water. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. So as I said earlier on, uh, I don't know how much of the prophecy of Isaiah he had, but I, I do hope that he had the next several chapters anyhow. I hope that he had chapter 56 because he would have found a wonderful uh, encouragement just for him in the 56th chapter of uh, the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, but whether he did or not, uh, I don't know. So, so there, there is one ba uh, baptism. Just turn over to chapter 10. And here we have uh, a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a Roman of what was called the Italian Regiment, 
a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So uh, see this man, he's a Roman uh, centurion. He's a military man with a hundred men at his command. And, um, and yet he is a devout man. He, he um, also has been aware of what's gone on and he feels that the gods that he might have been worshipping, they're no use, but the gods of the God of the Israelites is the real God. So he was a devout man. He feared God with all of his household. He gave much alms, uh, he gave alms generally to the people, generously rather, and prayed to God always. So if we live next door to Cornelius, we would say that we're living next door to a really genuine 100% Christian. But was he a Christian? Not yet. When he... um, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius... And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? In the sense of, What is it, sir? And he said to him, The angel said to Cornelius, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And so uh, Cornelius did just that. And the next few verses, God is preparing Peter for the um, reception of Gentiles as Christians. He was not a Jewish man. He was a Roman. He was a Gentile. It's interesting that in chapters 8, 9 and 10, we have descendants of the three sons of Noah, uh, Shem, Ham and Japheth, Anthropologists tell us that the races of the world, the peoples of the world, have descended from Noah through his three sons. And the Ethiopian eunuch was a descendant of Ham. Uh, This centurion, Cornelius, was descended from Japheth. And in chapter 9, we have the conversion of Saul, uh, the Jewish uh, Pharisee. And he's a descendant of Shem. So we have a representative of each of the three sons of Noah in those three conversions. But let's carry on now with uh, Cornelius a bit longer. And uh, so Peter, as I say, had to learn a lesson. He saw the vision of a sheep with all sorts of meat, clean and unclean, and uh, he had to learn that uh, what God has cleansed you don't call unclean. And so the Gentiles, the gospel is for them too. And, uh, and, and it was a lesson that um, it still took a bit longer for him to learn when you come to uh, Galatians chapter 2 when Paul had to take him to task. But still, um, uh, coming down to verse 44 of uh, chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. So um, uh, Peter had been preaching to Cornelius now Uh, in response to uh, Cornelius coming and asking for him. And and the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Those of the circumcision, the Jews who believed, were astonished 
as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So this is Cornelius and his household. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptised who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptised in the name of the Lord. So here we have the conversion and the baptism then of this um, uh, Roman military man. So um, uh, just a few thoughts on uh, household baptism here. And uh, we, we see that Cornelius believed with all of his house uh, when you come to chapter 16 and the uh, Philippian jailer, his conversion is recorded there. Um, just to read the verses so that I don't misquote anything. Paul and Barnabas had been put in prison but uh, miraculously the doors were flung open. Uh, The jailer thought they'd all escaped. He was going to kill himself because he thought that uh, he would be um, uh, killed disgracefully. But anyhow, um, uh, at midnight, uh, Paul uh, Paul and Silas were still in prison praying, singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake when the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were opened, everyone's chains loosed. And uh, the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, we are all here. And so uh, this is when he asked that great question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so he received the, uh, uh, the beautiful answer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. So uh, this was a household conversion, but let's read on. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptised. Now when he had brought them into the house he set food before them and and he rejoiced because he believed in God with all his household. So here we have a household uh, baptism uh, there, but all of the household believed. You come over to chapter 18 and you have Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. Chapter 18, verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And so um, uh, these are occasions when the whole household is baptised, uh, but all of the household is is saved. <clears throat> so uh, we come to the last one now. Why? Uh, Why should we be baptised? And this is very, very brief now. Uh, Firstly, because it's been commanded by the Lord. In the great um, commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, uh, Go ye therefore into all the world, teach all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You're not out to get decisions, but to make disciples. And so those who would be baptised would be those capable of hearing the word, understanding and responding to it. And so commanded by the Lord, but also commanded by the disciples. Going back to Cornelius, Peter commanded that they be baptised. And, uh, and, and uh, so for this reason, we too say that um, for those who uh, become Christians, uh, the Lord's will is to follow that through. Uh, a once-only uh, witness, it, it is a witness, just like a wedding ring is a witness to your married life and so to baptism, witnessing before others that this change has taken place in your heart. Let us pray. Loving Father, once again we bow before the throne of grace. We give you thanks for this uh, wonderful teaching we have on what it means to be a Christian and to show forth the, something of the wonder of what the Lord has done in our hearts through waters of baptism. And so to this end we pray for those three who will be baptised next Sunday evening in your will. We pray for Adelaide, for Henry and for Jaron. And we pray, Father, that uh, these young lives, as they move to that higher plane in their Christian walk, will indeed go forth uh, triumphantly and rejoicing and uh, like the Ethiopian eunuch, go on their way rejoicing. Father, we do pray that their young lives given to the Lord so early in their lives will really count for him in the way that you would lead them. But for all of us, we do pray your blessing upon us also. We pray, Father, that as we separate now, we go uh, with your blessing, ever seeking to do those things which are well-pleasing, ever seeking to maintain a good and godly witness before those around about us and we pray that we will ever be a local church fellowship here given to preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ pointing people to the saviour who would have them to be his followers these things we ask returning our thanks in our saviour's name amen